The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 1. Um, Isaiah is speaking uh, to, the, to the southern kingdom. At this, at this point in God's people's history, they're split into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And Israel kind of ministers mainly to the southern kingdom. Uh, the the is, Israelites' enemies are strong around them. Uh, Israel's not really in a great spot right now. Um, and so right before this, right before our reading, uh, Israel says, if God hadn't saved some of us, we would be just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and now he speaks to them as if, the, as if they were Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, doing kind of two things, pointing out that they are doing lots of evil things right now, and that's not a good thing, and then also reminding them of what God has done in the past to people who do the kind of things that they're doing. So it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. Uh, And so God's kind of saying here, going through the motions isn't good enough. There's got to be sincerity um, in in worship. Just doing the sacrifices, just showing up at worship isn't good enough. Uh, There has to be you know, your heart and, and soul in the worship, uh, which is a good warning not only for them, but for Christians of all time and place. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of, of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 to 9, and it's kind of a nice counterpoint to the Isaiah text. Um, you know, the Isaiah text is a lot of you're doing a lot of bad things, and the Philippians text is, well, these are the things you should do. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Anybody else have a song running through their head? 
So he climbed into the sycamore tree, for he was about to pass that way. Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So let's continue on um, uh, with Philippians, uh, the sermon text. So what we've been doing uh, as, we, as we've been going through Philippians is uh, thinking about Paul's theology. And here is theology of uh, embracing the suffering of Christ, his theology of uh, unity, uh, unity in the body of Christ. And um, what it's all been leading up to, I believe, is this moment where he's going to tell these two people in church, not two bad people. These are two of his co-workers in Christ, right? These are two, two these are two women who are leaders in the church. He's going to say to them, like, I'm begging you guys, be of the same mind in the Lord. I mean, the whole letter builds up to this point. All the theology that he can muster about the cross and about Christ and about the new creation, about the forgiveness of sins, about the power of the Holy Spirit to make us one. Paul pulls all the powers of his theology down to this one point. These two women have the same mind in Christ. And so that's kind of what we're doing here in Philippians 4. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, this is when he actually said, uh, in verses 1 through 3, he said, I beseech you, Yodi and Sinti, to have the same mind in the Lord. Last week, same theme. This week's going to reinforce this theme, okay? Paul's tools for, uh, Paul's tools for healing this divide between Euodia and Syntyche. Let me just remind you again, we don't know what the divide is. And it's not important. If we did know the, if we did know what the divide was, if we did know what they were arguing about, we, like they and everybody else, would be tempted to try and suss out who's right and who's wrong and pick sides. And that's, it's, for Paul, that's clearly not the point. Paul's not interested at all in being a judge between the two of them in their disagreement. It's not the point. Who's right and who's wrong is not the point. The point is that in, in, G, in Jesus Christ, we're all one. And if that's the case, if the gospel works, then all these divisions have to come down between us. It doesn't mean that, you, it doesn't mean that you, you're not interested in truth and error and those things. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that the, that the body of Christ is more important than me being right and everybody else knowing that I'm right. That's what Paul's been working on. And our text this morning uh, is going to um, emphasize this. Can I bring to mind, so I wasn't here last week, I didn't preach on this, and um, I didn't tell Pastor Skizik what, what to preach, of course. So if I am uh, disagreeing with him, which I, I probably not, you, you'll forgive me, and just assume that I'm the one who's wrong here. If I'm repeating something he said, don't be bored, and just hang in there with me for a couple seconds. The very end of the text last week is this classic passage where Paul says, you know, he's talking to these two women, he's talking to the church, he's saying all this theology means that we have to be of the same mind. He says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now maybe we can start to understand what he means by that. When Paul says, 
And the peace of God, keep your hearts and minds. It's not just some sort of general, like, you know, we're all sort of worried and we have things that we stress out about, but God gives us peace. It's not that so much as it is within the church, within your family, within your workplace, within your neighborhood, there's going to be divisions between people. You always think that you're right. 100% of the time you think you're right. If you didn't, you would change your mind. But everybody else thinks that they're right 100% of the time as well. Which, of course, is normal. If they didn't, they would change their minds. And when that happens, when we have a room full of 150 people and all of us think that we're 100% right, there's going to be disagreements. And when that time comes and the theology of the cross heals those disagreements, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and minds. It's not just a generic peace. It's peace between me and you. It's peace between you and each other. This is what the cross does, is it creates relational peace. He's going to explain that even further in verses 8 and 9. Let me read those again to you if I can. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So in these two verses, Paul's telling us to do two things. Verse 8, uh, uh, check it out, the, the main subject and verb. Think about these things. Last line of verse 8. Think about these things. And in verse 9, main subject and verb, practice these things. So in verse 8, he's telling us to think about something. In verse 9, he's telling us to do something. He's telling us to practice something. So if we can, I'm going to go fast this morning just because um, uh, we had other stuff in the service, so I'm going to try to preach a little bit shorter. Let me quickly talk about verse 9 here. Practice these things, he says. Now, what is it we're supposed to be practicing? What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says. Not me, Aaron. This is Paul talking. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in Paul, practice these things. Now in Philippians, what has, what have the Christians in Philippi learned and received and heard and seen in Paul? Go back to chapter one, and it's real simple. Paul says in chapter one, y'all are worried about me because I'm in prison. Don't worry about me. I'm right where I need to be. God is using me. I'm up here on the front lines ministering to these unbelievers, to the guards, to Caesar's guards. I'm ministering to them in the name of Jesus. This would not be possible if I had not been thrown in prison. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Just like Jesus, who accomplished the kingdom with suffering, Paul says, that's me. In Christ, I'm accomplishing the kingdom of God, but it's happening through my suffering. Now, that's what you've seen. Look at, look at the last verse, last two verses of, of Philippians 1. For it's been granted to you, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in Jesus, but also suffer for his sake. These are the two gifts. We've talked about this before. These are the two gifts that Paul gives us. Paul announces to us salvation in Jesus Christ and suffering in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 30. You guys are engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You've seen me engaged in this conflict. And now I'm telling you, it's okay, it's good, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm serving the Lord in this conflict. Now back to our text. Practice these things. The way that you've seen me live my life, I've not tried to run from the cause of the cross. I've not tried to run from the kingdom, even when the kingdom has thrown me in a bad spot here. I've embraced it, and I want you guys to do that too. So again, one of the keys to relational unity is embracing the suffering of Jesus Christ. If the most important thing in the world to me is that I've been united to Jesus Christ and his sufferings on the cross, then me being right or me being happy 
or me being pleased or comfortable becomes secondary to that ultimate reality. Jesus dies on the cross and calls us to embrace that suffering with him as a gift. So when he talks to Euodia and Syntyche, what he's saying is, is we don't, again, we don't know what the argument is, but one of them thinks they're right and the other one thinks that they're right. And Paul says there's something better. There's something tastier for you to have. That is being united to Christ. And that means suffering sometimes. That means sometimes that the tastier thing, the better thing, the more deeply satisfactory and enjoyable thing is not being right. It might, in fact, uh, being called out as being wrong. And that's okay. Because embracing the fellowship of his sufferings, chapter 3, verse 10, is one of the keys to relational unity. So that's verse 9. Now let's go back up to verse 8. So the verse 9, we've got to practice these things. We have to practice embracing the suffering of uh, uh, Christ, just like Paul did. You know, another, another good, good way to say this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says it this way. Imitate me, he says, like I imitate Jesus. So the, the main point isn't, like, let's be like Paul, but be like Paul as Paul's trying to be like Jesus. In chapter 1, Paul's trying to be like Jesus by when he suffers for the sake of the gospel, he does not complain. He does not fight back. When he's reviled, he does not revile again. When he's abused, he turns the other cheek. He carries the sins of others. Paul says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm in jail and it's not, it's, I'm innocent. But if me being thrown into jail means the salvation of those who are witnessing me being thrown into jail, then I'm worthy to do that. I can be like Jesus in that way. Imitate Paul like Paul imitates Christ. Okay, let's get back up to verse 8 where Paul says, think about these things. How does thinking about something help you in your relational brokenness? The fractures that exist between you and those you love, between you and fellow church members. How does like putting something in your mind, how does that help? All right. Two quick principles here. First, uh, the garbage in, garbage out principle. Look, I, I, if you Google the phrase, you are what you think, there's a gazillion hits for that. Like, it's such a truism at this point that every dime store psychologist in the world has said it. From the Buddha to Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'm not calling the Buddha and Ralph Waldo Emerson dime store psychologist. But them and other dime store psychologists have said, you are what you think. It's funny, though, that like that's it's just sort of like an accepted truism, that what you put in your brain, what you think about, will shape and mold who you are and how you talk and how you think. But we don't really think like that. I mean, it's so true, but like my default mode is to think I am a certain way. And so I think that way. When actually the truth is more like I think a certain way and it shapes me to be like that. Like I think certain thoughts, and I was talking to some high school seniors uh, uh, this past week, maybe it was a couple weeks ago, about the power of pornography to transform the way your brain is wired. This is not a Christian talking, by the way. This is just like legit neurological science. It's, it's been studied. If you put something in your brain, and it's not just pornography, although that's like a really dramatic thing that's really noticeable. If you sit there and you watch the Cardinals every night, you're going to think about the Cardinals the next morning. If you go to a movie and the movie's real powerful, you'll think about the movie the next morning. If you're the kind of person who listens to a lot of jazz, you're going to start thinking jazz sort of thoughts. Because what you put into your brain transforms the way that you think and the way that you act, right? So what Paul does is he says, broken relationships can sometimes be attributed to the way that you're thinking. 
Like in my brain, when I have a relationship problem, what I think about is how I'm right and that person is wrong. Or how that person doesn't behave the way I want them to. I wish they would behave more the way that I want them to. And I can't get past that. And those of you who have been in relationship struggles, struggles, you know that this is the case. You can't possibly imagine a different way of thinking about that person that you've grown to dislike or distrust or maybe even hate. And so Paul says what you need is a transforming of your mind. You need to think about different things. You need to focus on different things. So first, there's that garbage in, garbage out principle. Here's another way to look at it, though, is this way. Paul says to you, Odie and Syntyche, okay, you guys have different ways of thinking about this. Remember what he says back up there in verse 3? I beseech you, you Odie, and you, I beseech you, I, I beseech Syntyche, have the same mind which you've been given in Christ Jesus. Think the same way. He goes to their thoughts. He doesn't go to their behavior. He doesn't say, you guys just need to be nicer to each other. You need to get along. Just stop talking nasty to that person. Stop gossiping about that person behind their back. He doesn't start there. He says, think differently. Think different thoughts. And if you think for a minute, like, I can't think different thoughts. My thoughts just come. That's a sign that we've already been trapped in this. We've trapped our brains in this pattern of thinking so that we can't think different thoughts anymore. However, Paul says, here, let's think about this. Now, let's look at what he tells us to think about, and that will help us see this peace of God which passes all understanding. And basically what it comes down to is think about the beautiful things and think about them together. I'm not going to, so Shanna was my uh, foil two weeks ago. I'll just use Shanna. So we've, we've made up since then. We now get along. So Shanna and I are fighting and we think different things about whatever. Maybe it's like, maybe it's mercy ministries and Shanna thinks we should do this this way. And I'm like, no, we should do it this way. Maybe it's about each other. Maybe Shanna thinks I'm an idiot and I think that she's a fool. And so we like have different opinions about this thing. And now what Paul is saying is start thinking about together, start thinking about the same things, the same beautiful things. Start thinking about true things together. Share truth together. Share what's honorable together. Share what's just together. What is? What, what exactly specifically can Shanna and I share together that's true or honorable or just or pure? This is, if you look at, uh, uh, this is, a, this sort of list is common. Uh, Paul's readers would have been familiar with this sort of like moralistic list in, uh, Greek hortatory or didactive or like educational writing to teach people how to live morally. This is a really sort of similar list. But remember what Paul's doing here. In the context of Paul's letter, he's not just saying, think about true things together. Think about lovely things together. He's speaking about something specific. Let me do it this way. Let's look, let's look at this list. What, think about together. Share in the same mind. Let's think about together whatever is true. What is in the Bible what is true? Is it not the one who says, I am the way, the truth and the life? True isn't a thing. True is not a fact floating around out there. Truth is a person in John chapter 15. Jesus is true. What's honorable? God insists that he alone is honorable. In 1 Samuel 2, he says, those who honor me are the ones I will honor. Like, don't honor yourself. Don't honor your own plans. Don't honor your own thoughts. Honor me. God's the one who's honorable. Who is just? Who is the righteous one? 1 Peter 3 says that it's Christ who suffered once for sins. The just one for the unjust ones. To think about the just means to think about Jesus. What is pure? The goal of Christianity, John says in 1 John 3, is to be pure as Jesus is pure. Jesus is the one pure one. What's lovely? The word lovely there in Greek means something that produces love. 
God says, love the Lord your God. Luther tells us that to be a Christian means to fear love and trust in God above all things. The one true lovely thing in the world is God and Jesus Christ. What is excellent? The job of the church in 1 Peter 2, according to Peter, is to proclaim the excellence of Jesus. The utmost highness of Jesus. What's worthy of praise? That's the last one. Worthy of praise. That's actually just the dictionary definition of worship. Worth-ship. Something that's something that you can ascribe worth to. That's what worship is. Something that you can say, that's something that I can praise. We should worship only God and Him only should we fear. That's all over the place, including out of the mouths of Jesus. What's Paul doing here? He's not saying just think about lovely, true, noble, beautiful, pure things in general, although that's helpful too. He's saying think about the one noble, the one true, the one pure, the one excellent thing in the entire universe, and that is Jesus. If Shanna and I fill our minds up on Jesus, we can't possibly disagree to the point of fractured relationship about anything else. Here's another way of saying this. What Paul is offering in this text, he's offering you Odia and Sentiki, and he's offering me and you too, is the peace of God. That's the last line of, uh, that we just talked about a, a few minutes ago, right? Of chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, will keep your and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have relationship problems and you come to Jesus for help? What are you after? You're after the peace of God. What does he do instead? He says, have the same mind that is yours in Christ Jesus already. Have the hive mind of Christ where Christ is all. Christ is preeminent. Christ is the one excellent thing. And what do you get instead? Look, you come to God for the peace of God. And what do you get instead? Last line of our text. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We come to him for the peace of God, and what we end up walking away with is the God of peace. You want fractured relationships healed. No, no, no. Actually, what you really want is you want the heart of God. And what he gives you instead of fractured relationships healed is not the peace of God, but the God of peace. And the healed fractured relationships are a great, wonderful byproduct. But at the end of the day, what really counts is being loved and known and loving and knowing the God of peace in Jesus Christ. Amen.